Well, good day, church family, on this last day of April. Or so it seems outside. How incredible has this weather been? Absolutely amazing, isn't it? Indeed, a gift. Well, today we continue what is surely a record-setting length sermon series for this community. The story, which we have been exploring all school year long, looking at our human experience from God's creation of the universe and now through His careful and patient work of redeeming us, looking forward to a grand conclusion at the end of this school year for sure. And here's a slide uh, that uh, illustrates where we are currently. You'll notice that we are in the middle of some blue-lettered topics. We have stopped to pause on this most important period of Earth's history when God becomes incarnate in the person of Jesus. And today we're looking at Jesus as storyteller and the role that story plays in our understanding of our world. At the beginning of each of these um, sermons, we have invited someone to come up and participate in an interview, and I'd like to welcome Jim Pedersen to come back to the front this morning. Uh, as Troy mentioned, Jim is the president of the Northern California Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, and if you've been with us this school year, you know that we have been inviting a variety of conference presidents to join us to uh, uh, pray for us, to worship with us, but also to break bread with some of their students who study uh, on this campus. And Jim, I have to tell you, I thought about all kinds of ways to tease you about the Seahawks and the 49ers, but then we had to go and lose the Super Bowl at the very last minute. So that just kind of uh, leaves the 49ers out there? Yeah. <laughs> so can't really talk about okay. that. All right. uh, I thought about the, some Northwest, native Northwesterners who talk about how we love when Californians come to visit. And when they go to home. visit. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that didn't seem very hospitable. But uh, We're thankful when they come up here. <laughs> Indeed, but it is wonderful uh, to have you here. Hey, thank here. you for the invitation. And uh, we're going to be eating with some students. And, Looking uh, forward to that. But we celebrate our sister institution, Pacific Union College, this weekend as well with Amen. your presence and our shared commitment to Seventh-day Adventist Christian Higher Education. Absolutely. So thank you for being with us. Thanks for reaching outside your own union up here into another union south of you. Indeed. Thank you. Indeed. So I have a special set of questions for our visitor uh, this morning. Your president warned me about these. <laughs> Are you ready? Oh, go ahead. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? That's easy. The sound of my two-and-a-half-year-old grandson saying, Papa, I love you. Hmm. Hmm. What sound or noise do you hate? <laughs> well, at the risk of making a lot of enemies up here in Walla Walla, <clears throat> I really hate the sound, followed by the taste of the crunch of raw onions in my mouth. Sorry. But somebody out there agrees with me, I'm sure. Hmm. When friends visit from out of town, where do you take them to eat and why? There's a little restaurant not too far from our house called Bottega. And it has the best ricotta gnocchi and a shaved Brussels sprout salad. Don't knock it until you've tried it. Hmm. So, yeah, that's where I would take hmm. them. If you inherited a large sum of money, what would be your first purchase? I would purchase a ticket for all of our family to take some exotic journey together, but there's got to be a stop off at Pitcairn Island along the way. Hmm. What quality do you appreciate most in people? Honesty, 
mixed with humor. <laughs> if you were a person in Scripture, who would you be? <laughs> Moses. <laughs> it's not the parting of the water and all that yeah, kind okay. of stuff. No, 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 no. Um, Moses was a reluctant leader and very human. Who is your least favorite person in Scripture other than the devil? That would have to be Haman in the story of Esther, mm. the whole intrigue and arrogance and all of that, yeah. Jim, what energizes you? <laughs> well, besides my grandson and taking a nap after that, um, <laughs> music, uh, music of all kinds, but probably particularly by one of my musical friends. Mm. What makes you cry? Mm. My, my wife will tell you I don't cry a lot, but the last two times I had a good cry was at the weddings of each of our daughters as I tried to get through the service. Hmm. And last question, what do you hope to hear God say to you when you arrive in heaven? I mean, besides, yeah, you made it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would love to hear him say, hey, Jim, Gabriel is having some trouble over in the music department. Here's my personal baton. Go uh, give your hand to the band and choir and see what you can do for the next couple hundred years. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you so much for joining us this Thanks weekend. For the Let's invitation. thank Jim for being thank with you. us. Thank you. <clears throat> so I've never been one to have much of a bucket list. You know, that collection of experiences that you wish to enjoy before you kick the bucket. I've never really put together a list like that. But if I did, I certainly would include attendance at the National Storytelling Festival, which takes place each October in Jonesboro, Tennessee. There you will find a collection of some of the world's great storytellers. Spend several days laughing and thinking and crying and be, being swept up by the power of great story. That would be on my list. If we were to ask the question this morning, and I suppose you will know where this is headed, who is the greatest storyteller in the history of the world? whose stories have changed the trajectory of where we are headed, uh, the stories of which person have fundamentally moved the needle about where this earth is spinning, who would it be? I think that we could rightfully say Jesus of Nazareth, who was an incredible teller of stories. And among the many stories he told, we have found in the Gospels some 30-odd parables. Now certainly we would believe that there are many more parables than the ones that are contained in those limited scrolls. And likely some of what we have are but a reduced form of stories that were much longer and perhaps more colorful than the ones that we have access to. But here we have this treasury of glorious stories told by the world's great storytellers. And it's fascinating what we see 
from the people who hear these stories. When Jesus is done telling certain stories, uh, we discover in the Gospels a dramatic and violent reaction on the part of the government. In fact, we see government officials saying, we must kill this storyteller. Now think about, about that for a minute. You finish watching a movie or reading a particular book and you put it down and you come to the conclusion the government is going to kill this filmmaker, literally. The government is going to come and execute this author for what has been told within this story is so explosive. It is so revolutionary. It is so clearly going to turn everything upside down off with the head of the storyteller. This is what we see in some of the parables of Jesus. In other cases, we watch as uh, people will listen to a particular story that Jesus is telling. And they will come to the conclusion that they should go out and sell everything they've got. Give away all of their material resources and boldly follow this one who is telling stories. Or perhaps to begin to love people that they thought they could never love. To break down racial barriers that they thought should never be broken. To begin to identify as friends and neighbors those they once termed enemies. Dramatic. Imagine that you or your family sit down and you watch a film. Or you read a story together in a book. And when you're finished with that activity, you look at each other and you say, this is going to change the way we live our lives forever. This is the impact of the stories that Jesus told. And at least in one instance, we see that the people simply say to one another as they have listened to yet another story of Jesus, no one has told stories like this. No one has taught us like this through the power of story. This is story that is at a completely different level. These are the stories that Jesus told. He was a master storyteller. And of course, he was speaking and living and doing in the tradition of the Jewish nation who had lived on powerful storytelling throughout its history, recounting narratives about God's powerful, powerful acts, encouraging and emboldening the present generation with the telling of great stories. And now it is Jesus who introduces a whole new tradition afresh, inaugurating Christian storytelling. For my friends, we discover that the formation of the Christian movement, not founded so much on particular doctrinal formulations or a list of bullet point theological propositions, although certainly those were present, but rather the story. Witnesses going out and saying, let me tell you about Jesus what he did, about his story, and about the narratives that he told us about ourselves and about our world. The Christian movement was born, and I submit to you, is nourished by the telling of the Jesus story and also of the story that he told. And so for just a moment or two this morning, because we are a part of that rich Christian tradition, a storytelling community, 
I'd like to think for just a moment or two, not about a particular story that Jesus told, perhaps a future sermon series could look at some of those, but rather simply to reflect upon the power of story and then maybe a couple of ways that we could participate afresh and allowing story to shape us in the way of Jesus. So first, let's just acknowledge Story has the potential to move us, to convict us, to push us towards fresh action in a way that simply articulating cold facts fails. Advertisers understand this, don't they? Let me show you just one example from a particular company and a commercial that they ran recently, and then we'll talk about it. Let's watch together. So what is General Motors trying to do there? And by the way, uh, when my daughter's about 11 or 12 years old, we're getting a dog because I now see the value of warning boys about dangerous behavior. They're not selling a bumper or a, stealing, uh, or a steering wheel or a certain horsepower. What are they selling? Story. First of all, they're using the power of story to convince you that you should invest some money, that you should take an action. They believe, they understand the way human beings are wired up, and by the way, human beings created in the image of God, that we're wired up to be motivated expressly and deeply by story. Now, think about a few biblical uh, experiences for a moment. King David sees a woman that he covets. She's married, however. But he goes ahead and decides to commit adultery with Bathsheba. He then murders her husband and covers it up with a pack of lies. God comes to the prophet Nathan and says, you need to go confront the king. What does Nathan do? Once upon a time, he says to David, there was a wealthy man. This wealthy man had loads of sheep and cattle. He was rich beyond measure. But he had some guests come to his home, and he wanted to feed them a meal of lamb. And so he told his servants, you go next door to the poor man's house. 
They have nothing but a single lamb, a lamb that has grown up with his children, a family pet. You go next door and you take that lamb and you bring it over here and we will kill it and eat the lamb. Nathan finishes the story. And David is outraged. His sense of justice burns within his spirit. And he says, where is this man? He must be put to death. And Nathan pauses and says, you're the man. Now, I suppose Nathan could have said, David, we've got to talk turkey for a minute. There's at least four commandments here in violation. Coveting, adultery, murder, lying. Let's do theological business. And perhaps that would have had impact. But that's not what Nathan does. He understands the prophetic power of story to motivate a king to metanoia, to making a change in his life, confessing openly the horror of his sin. At an earlier time, happier for David, you remember that uh, Goliath is wreaking havoc. The young David approaches King Saul, uh, wanting to demonstrate that he can be the one to defeat this great enemy. What does he do for King Saul? Saul, he says, once upon a time, there was a bear. Once upon a time, there was a lion. He tells stories of what God has done through him in the past. Saul is motivated. Perhaps David is even motivating himself. Yes, I suppose David could have described the weapons and particular skills and how many push-ups he could do in a minute. But no, it is the power of story that convinces the king. In the New Testament, the early church, wrestling over the presence of fresh Gentile converts, the Jews in the Christian community are not so sure this is legal, that this is theologically okay. And there's a big debate, arguments biblically on both sides about whether to embrace these Gentiles or not. And back and forth it goes. But what is it that carries the day? Do you remember? The apostles say, once upon a time, Last week, let us tell you about the Gentiles who were coming to God. Let us tell you the stories of these people who are becoming alive by the power of the Spirit. It is the stories that carry the day in the early church. You know, this church of ours that we love, the Adventist Christian community, we're in a global conversation right now about what to do with women in ministry. Ought they to lead and administrate? Ought they to preach and to teach or not? And there's all kinds of biblical arguments on either side, just like in the early church. But I can only give you my testimony. It is the undeniable power of story 
witnessing the powerful preaching and teaching and leadership and administration of women already that convinces this heart and this mind that the power of the Spirit is already at work in women who currently are my colleagues and therefore should be affirmed. Story, my friends. In the very beginning, Jesus birthed this movement by telling stories, by demonstrating narrative. That early church nourished by the power of these stories, told generation upon generation over the course of now millennia, informing the church, powering the church. And every generation along the way, we add our testimony as well. We tell the stories of Jesus alive even this day in us. Story is powerful. So what would it look like, just very briefly this morning, what might we do to recommit ourselves to the telling of story in our community in order to sharpen our commitments to Jesus Christ in our followership of Him? Three things. First, I really believe that in every generation, God inspires storytellers. Sometimes inside the church, sometimes human beings who are outside the church. But nonetheless, I believe that there are a gifted few who have the capacity to write, who have the capacity to put together narratives in a way that can move us in the direction of the gospel. I want to share with you some examples from this generation, some stories that have moved me, and perhaps some of these you will recognize how about this first one, the story, It's a Wonderful Life. Has anyone participated in that story? I don't know about you, but every Christmas when I get done watching that movie, I want to live as a better person. I want to thank God for the gifts in my life. I want to be more committed to family than ever before. A powerful story. Schindler's List. A story that will make you angry about evil and cause you to wish to have courage to stand up for the good. Not an easy story to witness, but a story that dramatically moves the life. I love this story, Life is Beautiful. It's an Italian film. I get done watching this, and once I have dried my tears, I am committed to being the best daddy I can possibly be. How about this one? As good as it gets. A story about a collection of broken souls. I get done watching that little film and I'm like, I want to be a more caring person for people from a variety of aspects in life. Unbroken, a story of courage. The help reminding me of the continued work that need be done in racial reconciliation. Shadowlands, a reminder of how we must treat grief in a sacred way. John Grisham's little story, Calico Joe, about forgiving even those in your family. Tuesdays with Maury about what really matters in life. And right now I'm really reading Gilead uh, by Marilyn Robinson, which speaks to what it means to be a human being. And on we could go with a sandwich. What would it be like if you arranged an evening 
maybe around a book or a film. And you gathered some friends and guests together, and you said, let us experience a story together. A story that will help enliven us, that we might live the values of Jesus Christ in an even stronger way. I think that'd be transformative. A second thing I think that can be very powerful for us in terms of storytelling is simply gathering around a fireplace or a dinner table, perhaps even this Sabbath lunch, and saying, maybe everyone could testify just for a moment to a way that God has blessed you, a way that God is ministering to you in great pain. Tell us a story about something God has done in your past that has been particularly meaningful. What would it be like to uh, take larger and larger portions, even of our Sabbath school classes, simply to tell stories to one another about the ways that God is at work? I think we ought to tell far more stories to each other about how Jesus is present through His Spirit in our lives and how He is active in the journeys that we share. Finally, yes, I think that on a regular basis, we must make certain that we are pouring ourselves back into those original documents. The great story of the Gospels, the narrative of Jesus Christ and his powerful parables. But more than anything, this story. You know in the Jewish community, the tale of the Exodus was paramount. That moment in their history when God had rescued them from slavery. With powerful and mighty acts, He had brought them into freedom. In fact, Yahweh even nudged them to participate in an annual feast called Passover, where they would eat together And they would talk about this incredible and mighty act of God. Truly epic. Well, Jesus comes on the scene and he wishes to play on this Exodus story. He wishes to bend the Passover meal a bit. And he inaugurates something that we know as communion. Jesus says to the Christian community, I want you to eat together on a regular basis around this meal called communion, a particular gathering when you eat the bread, when you drink the cup, and you remember my story. And some traditions of Christianity participate in this meal every week, some more often, some less often. In the Adventist tradition, typically, In a setting of worship, we engage in the storytelling of communion, which is about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, the body and blood of God enfleshed. We do this at least four times a year where we come together to tell the great story. And this is such a Sabbath. For those of you in the room... I want to let you know that the Seventh-day Adventist Church practices open communion. That is, we recognize that we are part of a larger body of Christ and we welcome anyone here, uh, no matter the flavor of Christianity you come from, to participate with us 
at the table. I also wish to uh, say that if there's someone near you who may have difficulty coming forward and picking up the bread and the cup, would you just serve them this day? And finally, to our uh, sizable congregation watching online just now, I invite you to take these moments, perhaps, to pray and to reflect on the great story of Jesus as you witness from afar our participation in the communion meal together. So I invite you now to come forward to take the bread and the cup and to take it back to your pew, and we will then eat and drink together.